welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. My guest today is Bill McWilliams, Chief Investment Officer of MaxCap. Um, welcome, Bill, to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. Thank you, Nelson. Bill, tell us a bit about MaxCap and tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you. Um, It may surprise people to know that that MaxCap's actually 15 years old. The the rise of the the non-bank lender, if you like, has really only Mm. been prevalent over the past five years. But um, MaxCap originally started more as an advisory business and providing second mortgage funding to, to property developers uh, and has has grown over that time. So originally started pre-GFC uh, and worked very closely with the banks around providing second mortgage. Coming out of the GFC, uh, the banks came back a little more conservative, which created a bit of a, a larger gap within the capital stack. And to MaxCap Founders Credit, uh, they were able to secure some in, uh, institutional capital for second mortgage funding. So uh, we were able to get quite a bit of second mortgage funding out the door, uh, out of the GFC and, and grow some really strong relationships with blue chip uh, developers for, for blue chip projects. It was about that time that, that I came on board. So I've been with MaxCap for nine years now. Mm-hmm. There were, were four of us in the office uh, back then. And we always had a vision to continue to go down the risk curve, if you like, and attract capital for first mortgage lending before it was really prevalent in the market. It's been a good journey over the the nine years that I've been here. It's been a fun (laughs) journey and we've grown quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I've been obviously writing stories about it and no doubt our readers and now listeners have uh, been following MaxCap and all the different stories that we've written on Australian Property Journal. And a lot has happened in the past, I suppose, 12 months or 20, 20, oh, more than that, 12 or 18 months now. Um, Mm. Tell us about what's happened in the past year uh, in the uh, real estate finance space. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a, for for everyone involved, it's been um, really, I mean, I guess it's been a hard 18 months. We've had Mm. To deal with with quite a bit, had to deal with with working from home. Um, we've had to deal with you know understanding what the pandemic meant for the markets, particularly in the early days. Um, and you know, I, I think what we we chose to do was really back ourselves and our judgment, back our the processes that we we had in place. As I mentioned earlier, the the business had been through a a major economic impact through the GFC, and yes. what we learned out of that was really. To, to continue uh, doing what we do best, which is is um, backing the right sponsors and backing the right assets uh, and making sure that, you know, we, we, we continue to, to work through it. We don't want to be known as a, a fair weather lender. Um, you know, we, we want to work through all economic cycles. And uh, what we, we did, as I, as I mentioned, was really put in place the right processes and procedures so we could continue to lend throughout that period. There were obviously some sectors that fared a lot better than others over the past yes. um, 18 months, um, you know, and we were fortunate enough to, to have a reasonable exposure going into the pandemic to the, the markets that did well. So um, industrial, we made the, the call to go into industrial a couple of years ago, uh, particularly on the equity side. 
Uh, we've always had a, a natural weighting towards residential. And while some elements of residential have been tough, tough over the past 18 months, predominantly that higher density stock, um, certainly land subdivision has gone uh, very strong. There's been a lot of demand for, for house and land packages. Uh, I suppose that's been spurred on by Home Builder, hasn't it, too? It absolutely mm. has been spurred on by Home Builder and also a willingness for people to to live a little bit further out to CBDs as well. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and affordability has obviously pushed a lot of people further out from the CBD as well. So mm. certainly been a lot of demand for that product, for townhouse product, um, whereas the sectors that were obviously... Uh, a lot harder hit with those that were directly impacted by the pandemic. So hospitality, uh, hotels, accommodation space, um, office to a degree uh, with everyone working from home, that became quite difficult. Um, so, yeah, there, there were obviously some winners and losers out over the past 18 months, but but overall really pleased with with how resilient the, the property market's been. Uh, overall, it's been it's been a good 12 to 18 months for us. I won't lie, there's been tough elements of it and part of the part of the job that I enjoy the most which is, you know, getting together with our clients, uh, walking sites, all that sort of stuff, you know, we've had to do remotely mm. and via Zoom. So there's elements of it that haven't been as fun <laughs> and whilst you can work from home, you know, just from an efficiency point of view, sometimes that that becomes challenging, uh, but we've positioned the business really well for for future growth. Mm. And what has the lending environment looked like in the past 12 months? You talk about banks um, and non-bank lending. Yeah, there, mm. there's been uh, more of a shift, for, <coughs> particularly on the developer side, there's been more of a shift towards stretched senior position rather mm -hmm. than, and as I mentioned in the early days, we're doing a lot of um, arranging through banks and second mortgage. That seems to have, have pivoted more to just a, a one loan, a, a stretched senior loan, um, and predominantly... Uh, in that non-bank market. And the reason for that is, you know, developers are requiring a lot more flexibility, particularly around their pre-commitments. Right. So on the, the residential side, uh, it is difficult uh, to sell apartment products off the, off the plan. There's nothing really driving purchases to purchase off the plan when a building's still, you know, two to three years away from being completed. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not getting really any uh, stamp duty concessions. Um, you know, and their, their deposits being tied up for that long. So, so that's been difficult. But again, backing the right sponsor and backing the right asset, uh, you know, we're quite comfortable to, to take a position, a market position on that. Uh, and same on, on, you know, commercial offer. It's actually been quite difficult for developers to get pre-leasing commitments in place. Uh, whilst I guess, um, companies are, you know, analyzing how much space they actually need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm. what, what does working home mean for them? So, again, provided we can get comfortable with the asset uh, and, and, and back the right sponsors, then we'll take a position on that. So that's why I think there's been a movement more towards the, the non-banks. Um, and whilst yeah, there is a, a premium on pricing for that flexibility, uh, it, it often comes with higher gearing as well. So when you look at the return on equity equation, it can actually work out um, better for developers. Mm. And so looking ahead now, I mean, we're now almost approaching March as we record this podcast. What are the trends that you're going to, you think we're going to see in the year ahead? Yeah, mm. we're starting to see and, and taking a look back over the last 18 months, I've had a lot of conversations around the build to rent space. Yes. Uh, but nothing actually being delivered, whereas this year we'll actually start to see projects being delivered. 
So, uh, you know, 18 months ago, there was probably more conversations around developers who had picked up projects that were more, you know, originally a build-to-sell model, uh, yes. but difficult to move the product. So they were looking at, at, at you know, a, a BTR or a build-to-rent product, mm. whereas now there's actually more of a strategy involved with this and there's a lot of different operators out there that are, are tackling it a little bit differently and, and offering something that's that's a little bit different and some are going you know a little bit more premium others are putting you know lots of amenity in it but smaller apartments yes. uh, but really with a, a a focus on attracting tenant so i actually think we'll see a lot more um btr stock hit the market we ourselves have, have, are developing and been working through some product for uh, BTR developments, which means, you know, we, we can be there for the construction phase, but mm-hmm. also for the, the the operating phase, The first of all, the trade-up, uh, and then once you've you've trade-up and got your, your, your rentals to a certain level, uh, investment debt as well. So I think we'll see quite a bit of that. Mm. So in terms of... In terms of just you just talk about BTR and we, mm. just earlier you touched upon obviously uh, apartments and pre-sales. If you were, uh, uh, you know, from Max Caps point of view, funding that's they're both residential products but different residential products. So what are the I suppose challenges to funding BTR compared to a, 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 a development where it's you know relied upon in pre-sale rely relying on pre-sales. Yeah. So mm. traditionally, you know, a build-to-sell project is is self-liquidating by nature. So you come in for the construction side of it. Uh, invariably, there'll be some pre-sales pre-committed before you come in and yes. a developer will continue to sell throughout completion of that project. And normally, there'll be enough pre-sales to fully repay your construction debt Upon completion, mm. there may be a requirement for a residual stock loan at the back end, but there's a lot of liquidity in the market for, for that sort of thing. So when you're putting a, a construction loan in place for a build-to-sell product, uh, you're, you're, you're looking at the construction period only. You may go three months post-completion of that building, but ultimately you're repaid by that date. Right. When you're approaching a, a build-to-rent project, you need to think about how you'll exit at the back end. And again, there's a number of different models um, that, that I guess developers are looking at for this. Mm-hmm. So some developers are working with with BTR operators and looking for a clean exit at the end. So they'll stay in, they'll manage construction, develop it through to completion, and there will be a takeout with a right. rent operator. Uh, others are actually setting up uh, operating platforms and beginning to uh, put in place operating platforms. So they're actually going through the construction phase and wanting to hold the debt at the back end. Mm-hmm. And that creates a different solution again because you need to be there for the construction period. But as debt, you need to be there for a period of time where the asset trades up. Initially, yeah. it won't be cash flow positive and right. eventually it will be. So you need to build some interest capitalization into that. Uh, and then ultimately, it's about once the asset is performing, it's cash flow positive. Uh, then moves across to to cheaper term debt, right? And that's quite interesting because I I, I think a lot of our readers are wondering that too. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad you brought it up and gave me the opportunity to ask that question. Um, the other trends besides BTR, what do we what are we seeing in the year ahead, or what we will be seeing? I, I think there'll be a lot of repositioning of assets as well. Mm-hmm. So particularly in the B-grade office market, perhaps 
tenants have, have vacated and it requires a bit of repositioning. It might, it may be getting uh, energy rating, neighbours ratings up to a certain level to attract tenants, you know, CapEx works programs, that sort of thing. So again, it's about purchasing not so much brand new, a demolition brand new builds, it's about purchasing an asset with, with a bit of refurb involved and, and, you know, what we call value add opportunities. Yes. So, you know, we're starting to have a lot of conversations around that and, again, developing product. You know, we've got product in market now that can assist with developers with that acquisition, some cap, capex, some leasing incentives with the view of improving the value of that asset at the back end and, and potentially either selling it or holding on to it longer term with a bit more term debt. Mm. Uh, I think that, you know, industrial will will remain strong. The fundamentals for industrial uh, that were there pre-pandemic are still there. Uh, and, you know, within the residential space, there's markets within markets. So we're still seeing uh, land subdivision projects sell exceptionally well, townhouse yes. product um, sell quite strongly. On the residential, the high-density side, there's less product being delivered into the market. And I think that... Each state is probably at a, at a different point in its cycle there. So if I look over in Perth and, and to a degree Brisbane, you know, we've seen a lot of absorption of, of some stock um, there with, you know, there's thought to be some over, oversupply previously. And right. that, they're the markets now where we're seeing the most demand. We're seeing pre-sales pick up the most. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of Melbourne, uh, there, there has been some product delivered into the market. They're still work, working through some residual stock there. But there's very little supply coming on in Melbourne yeah. over the next few years. So when I look at the Melbourne CBD, there's there's not many cranes in the sky. Um, <laughs> so, and the reality is it probably takes a good four to five years to get a project, you know, to acquire a site, get your planning permits in place, sell a project and go through construction. So I actually think, again, I'm, I'm actually... In terms of where that market sits, I think the, the level of supply coming on board will certainly hold it in good stead that there won't be, you know, a large amount of, of oversupply. Mm. Um, and Sydney, Sydney's always had difficulty with planning controls, so it's always kept that supply-demand balance in check. Uh, and we're seeing, you know, we're actually seeing some, some pretty good demand for residential in Sydney as well. Mm. And I think, um, well, if, if we're, you know, looking at sort of... Uh, forward okay, forecasting and looking at the year ahead we can't um, discount risks and there are lots of sort of risks along the way we've got uh, interest rates potentially rising inflation construction costs supply chains what do you see uh, are the risks uh, for the year ahead yeah very topical with the news of pro build during the week absolutely uh, yeah yeah being construction construction risk and construction price escalations Mm. Uh, something we've been heavily focused on, particularly over the past 12 months. We have been uh, working very closely uh, with a number of the, the larger builders to understand what's going on in that in that industry. We do uh, have been doing a lot more upfront DD and a lot more analysis uh, and a lot more stress testing as well mm-hmm. on the construction side. Uh, but ultimately, from a developer perspective, you know, what, what a developer's looking at and as a funder, what we're looking for is, is really a, a fixed price contract. So we know mm-hmm. that a feasibility is set. Uh, it's, you know, and, and the best way to, to lock in your, your feasibility because you can go through a period of, of selling product for 12 months and then locking in your construction costs. Now, if construction costs are, 
are far higher than what you're originally envisaging that can throw your, your feasibility out. So yeah. that's where, again, I think the, you know, the non-bank space has been good for developers because they can actually lock in that contract and get going early, knowing where their, their rates per square meter sit on their apartments, but not necessarily you know, selling for 12 months prior. So that helps mitigate some of that risk. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, though, the, the fixed price fixed price nature of that contract contract passes the risk on to, to the builder in a lot of those instances. Uh, so, yeah, something that, that you know, we're, we're watching very closely um, and something that I think the industry does need to be, be mindful of. Uh, rising interest rates is another thing that's, that's definitely on our mind. Uh, but I, I do take comfort in, I mean, we're at historically low interest rates. You know, we're at yes. the lowest interest rates we've ever been. So I think the market can take some increases there. I think APRA have done a very good job with responsible lending practices. You know, most home loans are uh, provided by the, the major banks. They're all regulated uh, by APRA. Uh, and, you know, when I look at the, the, the affordability measures that they put in place to assess serviceability, so they've always assumed higher interest rates when they're assessing yes, they have. The, mm. the, the approval. Uh, when I look at um, some of the RBA, RBA data that comes out on how far ahead home loan repayments are, that gives me a lot of comfort as well. Uh, so, look, I think certainly in the short term um, we can withstand some higher interest rates on the the development side, our sales and, and, and banks and, and other non-banks always build in uh, quite a bit of um, capacity and interest servicing bucket for development. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to have a, a major impact over the next 12 months. But we'll see how quickly interest rates rise and, and how far they rise. That's something we'll continue to monitor. Um, and, I mean, the other aspect that we, we you know need to look at closely is the political environment as well. We've got an election coming up. Yes. Um, so, you know, that can, can often change sentiment as well, depending on, on, you know, the, the, the policies that are announced and the outcomes there. So, mm. uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, the, the next 12 months, yeah, all this information, uh, you know, helps, helps build our strategy on, on, on where we plan to go over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. And looking at the next 12 to 18 months, what sectors would Max Cap be looking at? Um, I think for us, and and again, this is about continuing to do what we do well, mm. uh, it's about having a diversified book and, and backing the right sponsors. So, uh, you know, we'll have allocation to, to, to each sector. I don't mind, and, and even though, you know, the, the hospitality for, for the industry, for example, or the accommodation space has been hit quite hard over the past um, 12 months, I still think that there's, it's good to have an allocation to, to, um, that asset class. And I think mm. over the next 12 months, we'll start to see, um, well, I'm hoping a little bit more return to, to, to normality there. But I think provided you've got a, a well diversified, uh, book, you, you help spread your risk. I think, you know, absolutely residential has always been a big part of our book. Industrial has always been a big part of our book. Um, but you know, for the right, right location, uh, you got the right developer behind it and the right strategy in place. But, you know, there, there's no particular sector that will rule a line through. Uh, we'll mm. have a look at it and assess it on its merits. Mm. And in terms of, uh, we talked about sectors, and in terms of sort of cities, which cities mm. do you identify opportunities in? 
Yeah, for us, it's really it's been really important. Part of our strategy is having people on the ground in the cities that we operate. So we, mm-hmm. we opened up an office. We've got our office in Melbourne, um, in Sydney. We opened an office in Brisbane and over in Perth. It's mm-hmm. proven to be actually a, a, a pretty good strategy. It wasn't designed to yes. be, but when there was border <laughs> border lockdowns and we couldn't get across, it's actually been very handy to have have people on the ground over there. And mm-hmm. I think that um, from my perspective. You know, there's probably need and and brought on by the, the the state lockdowns. There's there's probably never been a bigger difference in where each of the states are in their in their cycle. Yes, um, absolutely. So, look, where our Brisbane office is exceptionally busy at the minute, both um, for Brisbane uh, projects and Gold Coast projects, and for mm. those projects, we are getting the most pre-sale. So on the Gold Coast exposures, all of those are sitting at full debt coverage in most instances. The, the stock is entirely sold out, so there's been really strong demand. And yes. a lot of that's driven by both interstate and, and intrastate uh, migration, uh, people, you know, changing the, the way that they live and, and, and moving up from, from the southern states. So, mm. you know, certainly see a lot of growth out of that um, Queensland office. Perth, there's a lot of demand on the sales side, but, but construction uh, pricing is becoming a real issue, particularly as they struggle to get trades from the east coast. Yes, so because of the borders. The border, mm. Exactly, exactly. So once those borders open up, um, hopefully uh, construction costs can normalise again. We can see some projects uh, get off the ground there. Uh, Sydney, again, and I mentioned this previously, you know, planning restrictions has always meant that supply-demand uh, balance is, is there and there, there's demand for the resi. And I think in, in, in Melbourne it'll, be, it'll continue to be more boutique, owner-occupied type uh, product. Um, until such time as, you know, some of the, the residual stock starts to wash through. Uh, and because of the fact there's not a lot of supply coming on, I think it'll bounce back very quickly. But all of, that needs, yeah. all of it needs, you know, the borders to reopen, the international students to come back, um, you know, and, and I, I think we'll see, you know, quite a bit of demand come through. Yeah, certainly. And um, I think... It won't happen immediately, and I, I don't think anyone's expecting that, but gradually we'll see a return to that new normal <laughs> that we keep yeah. talking about. Yes, absolutely. Um, but in terms of commercial real estate, um, what are any life cycle opportunities can you identify? Yeah, for, for us and, and predominantly we have been, most of our capital sat during that construction phase of a, mm-hmm. of a, of a project. Uh, whereas what we've been we've been doing, and we've uh, we've got a partner come on board recently in Apollo um, Funds Management, is effectively build our capital to ensure that we are there for the entire life cycle of the project, and mm-hmm. that is at site acquisition, ensuring that we're there for that. We've been doing quite a bit of that over the the, the last few years, ensuring we're there for the, the construction phase. But as I mentioned, you know, historically the construction loans were typically self-liquidating. You're able to pay out within three months of project completion, whereas now it requires a little bit more of a, a bespoke solution, both on the resi side. You know, it doesn't really matter what the asset is. It could be office, it could be hotel, um, it could even be retail. Typically you're there for a, a bit of a trade-up period, um, you know, so you, you need a, a loan that, that sits there after construction. Um, for those value-add opportunities that I was mentioning, you know, you need to be there for the for the acquisition, but then for, for refurbs, for, for fit-outs, 
and then ultimately uh, term debt as well, um, you know, longer dated debt. So the, the banks have always been comfortable to go, you know, somewhere from two to, to, to five years max, um, but I think there's a real opportunity in there for for. Uh, going longer dated on, on some term debt. We talked upon um, the apartments. We talked about built to rent. Um, one of the emerging things or one of the uh, topics that's been talked about a lot now is community and social housing, particularly affordable housing for, um, you know, the workers who are uh, first responders and mm. key workers. And we're seeing state governments across Australia allocate billions of dollars towards that. Have you now seen developers or other players now sort of turn their attention to that sector and think, okay, this is something that we could, uh, you know, um, uh, team up with the state government or the federal government if they do announce a, you know, a, a social housing policy uh, in the upcoming election? Um, and uh, do you see opportunities there in the social housing community housing space? Yeah, we definitely we definitely see opportunity, and in fact, we're 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 looking at funding quite a few opportunities coming up over the next few months. Mm. And where that works is with developers who are looking at at de-risking their, their projects from day one. So again, when I talk about feasibilities and locking it in nice and early, if you can get your construction contract locked in nice and early, that's one thing. But mm. to be able to lock away your revenue is another thing. And what we're seeing is developers negotiating with. Uh, with you know groups like um, housing choices and and you know I guess groups that non not for profit groups that that do have some government backing um, yes. or, or, or certainly government grants who are prepared to purchase uh, an entire building in many instances and lock right. away feasibility. So you know from a, a lender's perspective, it de risks it and it it, it makes it. Um, Actually, the analysis around the, the, the pre-sale is a lot easier. From a developer, mm. they know that once construction is completed, they've got a ready-made takeout um, there. Mm. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot of opportunities that we're seeing. That doesn't need to be taking out the entire building. In some instances, it might be parts of the building or a certain amount of, of, of pre-sales. Um, but, yeah, we're certainly seeing quite a bit of that. Yes. So, Bill, looking at... Uh you know, going forward, what are the lending opportunities for commercial real estate, you know, with, with banks retreating? Yeah, so there is quite a bit of capital coming into this space. I think that mm -hmm. particularly the institutions, both local and, and offshore institutions, are recognising commercial real estate debt as a, as a legitimate asset class to invest in. And, and that's really good news for, for property developers and property investors, you know, everyone on the borrow, on the borrowing side, uh, because the more capital that comes in, the more competitive that it actually will be. I think that there'll always be a requirement for bank funding. And if you can meet the, the criteria that the banks require you to meet, you know, additional equity, um, and, and typically more conditions on it, then you can avail of, of probably what will be the cheapest capital. But mm -hmm. we're now in a situation where that's not your only option. You also have, uh, you know, what's referred to as non-bank funding, uh, which provides a lot more flexibility. Now, in some instances, you might need to pay a premium for that. Right. Uh, but generally speaking, when you have a look at what that means for your return on equity, because you're probably putting in less equity, or for your IRR, because you're able to start the project a lot sooner, Mm -hmm. uh, then in, in a lot of instances, and I think this is why there has been a, a, a 
large demand for the non-bank side, you know, it can work out a lot better for, for developers' equity. So, uh, you know, I, I, I see that continuing on into the future and, and, you know, I do see more capital flowing into this space. Mm. Well, thank you very much for that. That was very insightful into real estate debt finance, Bill. Oh, thank you. I appreciate and it. Thanks. No, thank you very much for joining Australian Property Journal's Talking Property. We hope to have you back as our guest in the near future. Thank you very much, Nelson. Appreciate it.